You're listening to curated podcasts from the Beyond Infinity radio show, presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. So a great book that I came across uh, by Alan Stern and David Grinspoon is called Chasing New Horizons Inside the Epic First Mission to Pluto. Now this is an up-close, as it says on the inside, loose leaf cover. This is an up-close inside story of the greatest space exploration project of our time, New Horizons Mission to Pluto, as shared with David Grinspoon by mission leader Alan Stern and other key players. So it talks about everything from the very, very early discussions and ideas going back 20 odd years, you know, right through to the present. So it talks about the whole project, how difficult it was to convince the powers that be, NASA, the people who are gonna fund it, Congress, certain key people in, in government in the US, 20 years ago to get behind this project to explore Pluto. Very little was known about it. The best Hubble images were very fuzzy. There was It was a, a small outer object. It was really hard to get the sort of groundswell of support to get this project off the ground. So a lot of this book, Chasing New Horizons, is about the lead up to it. Alan Stern, the principal investigator of that mission, you know, he's from his very early days as a graduate, he's done his PhD and he's he's thinking about what he wants to do. He's focused in on the idea of uh, investigating Pluto, finishing off the tour of the nine planets. So Voyager went past Uranus and then Neptune in 1989, and then that was it for the you know the far outer solar system, the Kuiper Belt and beyond, uh, until New Horizons did that incredible nine-year journey uh, out directly, did a flyby of Pluto, and then amazingly uh, in 2019, on New Year's Day, I think it was, 2019, flew past Ultima Thule, that other small, much not a little planetary system like Pluto turned out to be. It's a binary system. It's it's orbiting uh, around the uh, Charon, its 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 main moon, and a whole lot of other small smaller moons in very strange spinning orbits, going around uh, that that uh, that binary system. So Ultima Thule is a is a very different object. It's it's much smaller. It's about thirty kilometers across. But we're getting a sort of drip feed of data, and this is one of the things that's explained in this fascinating book, Chasing New Horizons. To save weight, the radio transmitter on board the spacecraft is smaller, lighter weight, and so the data rate is much slower. So it's going to take a year or more to get all the data about the, the Ultima Thule flyby, happened on New Year's Day 2019, as it did when, when uh, it flew past Pluto back in 2015, July the 14th, 2015, more than 3 billion miles away from Earth, that NASA spacecraft flew past at 32,000 miles per hour. And, and so that, all that rich data that was, that was taken, the, the scans, the spectroscopy, the imaging, and all the rest of the data that was collected, fields and particles, everything else, all that took uh, over a year to get back from Pluto following that uh, flyby in uh, July 2015. Same thing happens with um, Ultima Thule. We still don't have... Um, anything like all the data back uh, but as far as Pluto's concerned we now do and that's what this uh, this book Chasing New Horizons is really all about so it took off in January 2006 did its flyby as I just said in July 2015 
this goes through the way the instruments evolved, the way the project evolved, the competition to have their spacecraft proposition and their instrument package proposition accepted and the competition with other competing spacecraft that were proposed to go to Pluto and also other New Frontier NASA projects, supposedly a bit cheaper, a bit faster than their big ticket orbiters like, um, like the Cassini mission, like Galileo. There was competition for different missions, not just to Pluto, but to elsewhere in the solar system. These had to all be sort of fended off through a process of review and and refinement to finally get the go-ahead and the funding to build the spacecraft, develop the instrumentation, get all the people together to do that, uh, then finally to launch it and then to to control the spacecraft to make sure that it survived that long long journey during during which there were periods of of long, lengthy hibernation where the spacecraft was kind of put shut down into a very uh, minimal energy consumption minimum maintenance mode and then woken up and then and reprogramming that, that took place just before flyby the spacecraft went silent they had to work out what was going on with that they had to uh, then revive it and then get all that everything working perfectly reprogramming upload a new set of instructions to the onboard computer for that flyby of the Pluto system and then to have the whole thing work flawlessly get all the data get everything and more than they expected from that incredibly diverse and and rich planetary system and then to actually continue on and go past another Kuiper Belt object in 2019, Ultima Thule, and then apparently there may be another flyby of a, of a Kuiper Belt object uh, going forward because there's still some pr- propellant uh, on board. They can, they can adjust course. And they've got nuclear power, so they've got plenty of electricity to power the spacecraft. So they want to do more with it, and they've yet to announce a, a third destination for New Horizons that may be imminent. But uh, yeah, this book is fantastic. It's an, a, just your classic story of exploration. It focuses on uh, Dr. Alan Stern, the principal investigator of the New Horizons mission. He's led NASA's exploration of the Pluto system and the Kuiper belt. He's a planetary scientist, space program executive, aerospace consultant and author. He's participated in over two dozen scientific uh, space missions and been involved at the highest levels of several aspects of the American Space Exploration Program. He is the recipient of numerous awards, including the 2016 Carl Sagan Memorial Award of the American Astronautical Society. Society and has twice been named to the Time 100. He lives in Boulder, Colorado. Now, his co-author uh, is Dr. David Grinspoon. Uh, he's an astrobiologist, award-winning science communicator, and prize-winning author. In 2013, he was appointed the, uh, the inaugural chair of astrobiology at the Library of Congress. He's a frequent advisor to NASA on space exploration strategy and is on the science teams for several interplanetary spacecraft missions. Uh, Grinspoon's previous books include Earth in Human Hands, and his writing has appeared in the New York Times, Slate, Scientific American, Los Angeles Times, and others. He resides in Washington, D.C. So the story is fantastic, and, and you know it was one of enormous success, setbacks, overcoming adversity, dealing with very complicated technical issues along the way, all the way supported by an incredible team. You know, just some of the reactions after that flyby when uh, they finally got their great data back. You know, they've got this incredible media attention. You know, the world has, has focused in on this, uh, on APL, the Applied Physics Laboratory, at Johns Hopkins and the Southwest Research Institute is where Alan Stern is from. He's based there. But the probe was actually made at, at Johns Hopkins, specifically at the Applied Physics Laboratory at Johns Hopkins. One of the, the real climaxes of the story is when they finally get their data back 
you know, that describe that, that incredible buildup of excitement. Alan says, towards the end of the book, he's quoted as saying, I remembered that great celebratory rocket science ritual back at the launch party. So just before the flyby, I reminded some of the team about it and said, if everything works, let's do that again. Let's go outside after we get back and build a bonfire in a trash can out by the swimming pool and burn our plans for responding to flyby anomalies. So they're all staying at a hotel near where the uh, the mission operations are. So fueled by a good amount of alcohol, we went down by the pool and built a fire and threw those now useless anomaly procedure documents into it, laughing and savoring the moment. The next morning, just as scheduled, the first of the truly high-resolution images of various locales on, on Pluto were received on Earth. Alan Stern, those first high-resolution images proved to be scientific gold even beyond our expectations. I was bowled over by the complexity of the scenes. So much was going on in each and every patch of Pluto's surface. When I saw that, I remember thinking that everything we'd done to get there all the career and personal sacrifices were suddenly vindicated. The whole freaking 26 plus years had been worth it. He goes on to say, this little planet is truly a spectacular place. It rivals or beats many of the larger planets in geological complexity. Before the flyby, I could not in my wildest dreams have pictured structures like these or imagined how strong Pluto's geological personality would turn out to be. It was just astounding. Now, I'm just gonna run through the appendix of the book. Chasing New Horizons Inside the Epic First Mission to Pluto, published by Picador. You can get it anywhere, any good bookshop or Amazon or Book Depository or Booktopia, any of those places. The appendix has the top 10 science discoveries from New Horizons exploration of the Pluto system. And I'll just run through these very quickly, in no particular order. The sheer complexity of Pluto, the diversity of phenomena seen on Pluto is far beyond what anyone, even New Horizons team members, expected to find on such a small planet, so cold and far from the sun. Ground fogs, high altitude hazes, possible clouds, canyons, towering mountains, faults, polar caps, apparent dune fields, suspected ice volcanoes, glaciers, evidence for flowing and even standing liquids in the past, and more. This little planet perched 3 billion miles away in the Kuiper Belt, packed more punch than any other known small world explored, and indeed more punch than many much larger worlds. The variety of terrains, its complex interactions between the surface and the atmosphere, and the wide range of surface ages even prompted the New Horizon team to adopt the slogan, Pluto is the new Mars. In addition to that, a huge degree of long-term and continuing activity across Pluto's surface amazed them by conventional wisdom born of exploring the rest of the solar system. Pluto should have been largely or even completely geologically inactive for eons, but the conventional wisdom was seriously wrong. New Horizons found a wide range of surface ages, ranging from ancient and heavily cratered to completely fresh-looking areas with no craters at all, meaning that Pluto has been geologically active throughout its 4 billion year history. The discovery of extensive, well-organized atmospheric hazes, that look-back photo that, that uh, you may have seen, illuminated by the sun, backlit, and it shows those very beautiful layers of blue, layers of atmospheric haze above Pluto's surface, and that, and that is um, cold nitrogen air. Evidence for, for changes in atmospheric pressure and the past presence of running or standing liquid volatiles on, on Pluto's surface. There's another uh, unexpected thing that came out in, in, the, in the science results. 
Charon's enormous equatorial tectonic belt hinting at an ancient interior ocean. Lots of places in the solar system are believed to have liquid water oceans, Enceladus at Saturn, Europa and Ganymede and others, I think, at Jupiter. Uh, well, it's possible that the binary that Pluto has, smaller kind of uh, partner planet, if you like, partner moon, uh, Charon, may have had a, a subsurface ocean. Uh, and then the, the, the mystery of the moons that, uh, that orbit uh, the two central objects, Pluto and Charon. These little moons are called Nix, Hydra, Styx and Kerberos. They orbit outside the Pluto-Charon binary. One surprising discovery is that these moons, um, they rotate fast and they're all spinning much faster than their orbital periods. Hydra, the most extreme, rotates in just 10 hours, almost 100 times faster than its orbital period. Even stranger, their spin axes are not basically perpendicular to their orbital planes around Pluto, the norm in other systems. Why? The answer is unknown. Why it only has five moons? They were expecting to possibly find more. They used Hubble to try to, to preempt that because they were worried about colliding with them on their way, screaming through the system. But there are only the five that they, that they knew about before they got there using Hubble data. So that's another mystery. All in all, a really inspiring and exciting rip-snorting yarn. I'd recommend it to anyone. Chasing New Horizons by Alan Stern and David Grinspoon. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to review us on iTunes. It's a great way to let others know if you liked our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Beyond Infinity RPPFM on Facebook or Infinity RPP on Twitter.